Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. I'm excited. We're kicking off. Uh, if you can pull that uh, first slide up, we're kicking off a new series this morning. And um, it is called Not Just Human, Being Spiritual in a Secular World. So let me just uh, kind of define what this series is about for us to set the stage because we can misinterpret um, what that's all about. Not just human. We're going to dive into the scripture. We're going to look at this idea of what the gospel has done for us. And we're going to drill down to the very core and talk about how the Holy Spirit comes in and actually transforms us. And we're going to talk about self and flesh and all these things that we hear about when we read the word, but oftentimes we don't know how to put it all together. How does this all work internally inside us? How does the gospel actually transform us? Um, and we're going to look at some of these radical passages and dive deep when Jesus says springs of living water will fl- flow from you. In other words, the power of God will flow from you to others. That's God's plan. And um, so we're going to dive in on this, on this issue. So when we say not just human, in other words, what we're saying here, uh, and we're going to break down is, uh, obviously what you learn in school, what you hear in general culture is, you're just a product of primordial soup, you're just, uh, you know, along the evolutionary chain, you know, you're just human. And how many times do we use that language? Well, we're, um, I'm only human, Right. And um, we're going to see that the context of God's love, he's created you in his image. What does that mean and how has God fleshed that out? What does he desire for you? In other words, really this core question, what are you becoming? What's at the very core of your being? What are you becoming? And how, what has God done to right, form that and move that transformation moving forward? Because let's just face it, we all get bound up by we're just human. Right, and uh, this is deep water to really wrestle with the fact of, man, what are we really? And to really wrestle with the fact that you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal. And we've minimized the radical nature of what that is, of really understanding who you truly are, right, in Christ. Okay? Now, we don't want to go too far with this, right? Not just human. We're not saying that we're gods, right? We're never God, Right? But you know what? Jesus has come with this gospel to make us like him. And we're going to see that deeply here um, this morning. So I hope that you'll dive in on this uh, this issue. I think, I'm praying, um, that God's going to do some big work in our church and in our hearts on this issue. I promise you, if you are here and you listen and make your heart available to the word of God and the truth of God, I promise that you're inside, you're going to find out something about who you are, the core, how your spirit, the Holy Spirit, your emotions, your mind, all this works, and how God wants to bring it together to birth, right, this abundant life that Jesus promised for us. Uh, I pray that you'll dive in and journey with us, bring your questions, bring your heart, right, to God uh, on this journey together. So I'm going to just pray for our time in in this series and the weeks ahead. We're going to kind of bounce all over in scripture, but the first several weeks of this, we're going to dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4, 5, 6. Um, so 3 through 6 in 2 Corinthians. Um, and I'll, I'll give a little background to this, uh, this special book. Um, it's, it's Paul's most personal letter. He bears his heart, he bears his soul more than any other letter 
in this book. And uh, we're going to look at chapters 3 through 6 as we get into this, uh, this new series, Not Just Being Human. So Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we need you. We need you to move, Father God. Your promise is more of the Spirit for those who ask, seek, and knock. Um, we need more of your life. We need more of your transformation. Lord, we're in a, a day and age, Father God, where we need to lift up. We need fresh eyes. We need to behold your glory once again in the glory of your gospel. Lord, your promises. Uh, Lord, for what you have for us, what you desire for us to become. Um, Holy Spirit, we ask you to just come into this place. Just bring your word alive, the truth of God inside our hearts, Lord. Let our faces, Lord, shine with the glory as we behold you, Jesus, as we learn again to set our eyes on you and fix our face on you, Jesus. Lord, move in this time. Bring your conviction, God. Bring your deliverance, God. Lord, unearth Uh, darkness, unearth hidden things. Lord, bring freedom, break the chains. Lord, we stand upon your promise of your gospel. Lord, there is nothing like it. Lord, it does not combine with any other philosophy, any other religion, any other word. It is separate. It is glorious. There is no good news like it. Lord, restore the truth, the power, the glory of that to us, to your church, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You with me? All right. I'm going to need you to bring all your being, your mind, your emotion, your will, um, your ears ready to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to tell us um, in His Word this morning. All right. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 18 this morning. And um, I, uh, well, let me just dive in here. Um, All right, church, fix your face. Steve, that sounds so harsh. (laughs) Fix your face. Um, I know you've heard this this statement. We've got to be careful here, especially if you say that to a woman. Be careful. And and others. um, But this is popular. Uh, I just heard it recently. Um, Obviously... Our kids go to Baylor, and Scott Drew, the basketball coach, he's used this. He taught it to his coach. One of his coaches left is now coaching Kansas State, um, Jerome Tang. And, and these are just wonderful, godly men. And, and that's something he used recently with his team. And, uh, folks, you can see this, right, just on somebody's face, right? Um, and what I want to just, just bring out this morning is um, the idea of how important your face is. How important it is to look upon somebody's face. Your face is your countenance. And so when somebody looks upon your face, you're giving off something. You're reflecting something. You're reflecting, I'm reflecting something of, of who I am, right? And um, I don't know about y'all, but uh, it, when I grew up uh, going to the church long ago, you know, the, the old kind of uh, traditional church, whether it was a Baptist church or other churches, and I just remember going through the halls. Anybody else in your church, you go through the old church halls, and they have these big portraits of the past pastors or leaders of the church. Anybody remember any of that? And they were like all suited up, but they were the most frowned people in the world and I still have visions of this I'm like you know that guy does not look happy and he does not look like somebody I want to hang out with that's for sure 
right? And just go to any, like whether it's a government building or some of these, you know, you go watch the old, and, and if you do any reading in old church history, read some of the old saints, some of the pictures and paintings, you're like, dude, that is the most, you, you do look mean, you're not looking joyful, you're not looking happy there. Um, and there's something we need to learn from that, right? And um, for our family, uh, one of the most traumatic things that we do is take family pictures every year, and it is... <laughs> I don't know about y'all, if it goes smooth with y'all trying to get the whole family in picture, but it's usually pretty traumatic for us. We survive, and every now and then it works out. But, um, but you know, the kids are always like, Dad, smile, you know, or do something. You know, everybody's you know, yelling at everybody else to fix your face, right? I mean, come on. And so um, I just give you permission, church. Is you have, I give you absolute permission to tell me to fix my face is if you feel like I'm just all frowned out or not um, exuding what we should be, which is the joy of the Lord. Now, with that said, folks, you have to understand that we're not to put on a fake. This isn't about trying to be something or trying to put a happy smile on when I'm not happy, right? Is This is a church, we come in and it says mourn with those who mourn, right? There's a time for my countenance to fall, right? We see it in the book of Psalms. Soul, why are you downcast, right? Why is my soul countenance downcast? And obviously things happen in life and our countenance goes down. That is to be a light bulb, folks, especially in here for us to pay attention and to move towards someone and say, you're all right. How can I help you? What's going on? And not just in here, everywhere. Pay attention to people's faces, Accountants is absolutely critical. And uh, the thing I just want us to get across and wrestle with this morning as we talk about not just being human is this idea of fix your face on Jesus. And do you know how to do that? Do you know what that looks like? And do you know what actually will happen in the midst of... And folks, we've complicated the gospel. We have complicated right this life that God has given us more than we'd ever imagined. I hope to take some of that complication out and also this morning hold up before us the glory of the gospel. It shares nothing with anything of the world. It is wholly separate. And it's time for us to see it again for what it is and to learn how to behold the face of our Lord who is transforming us and who will transform us. So with that said, let me just dive in. Second Corinthians, folks, as I said, this is, there was four letters, actually, to the Corinthians. The first letter was lost that Paul wrote. And to this church that he planted, this church in Corinth, on his second missionary journey. The second letter was uh, the letter we have of 1 Corinthians. The third letter was his sorrowful letter, which we don't have, uh, because he planted this church and he was had a pastor's heart. He wanted them to transform. He wanted them to grow up in Christ. And, and, and it was just this back and forth. And over time, other teachers came in and they kind of built this kind of, uh, it just shows more than anything else, the, the inner working of the fellowship, how people can get sideways with leadership with one another and, and, and dishonor one another and, and get confused with one another. And, and Paul's writing from a heart of apostle who planted the church to people who are now kind of pushing back on him. And um, we see his heart, we see his passion in this book more than any of the others, right? Romans, 
pure theology, pure gospel at the core. Uh, Galatians, same thing, he's dealing with an issue here. He dives in with his pastoral, apostolic heart, right, to call the people, right, back to, right, the essence of what the gospel is and back to hearing him, again, as the one who started with them um, as their apostle. And, And listen to his as we read this, just his heart, right, uh, for the people. And so, um, with that said, let me just dive in for us in uh, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Now, Paul, in this book, more than other books, he's, he's writing in this style, right? That he's, he, he's, he goes to an extreme, right, to, to, uh, uh, to rebute, uh, re, uh, their, their, uh, refute their um, criticism of him, you know, um, thinking that he was puffed up, all these different things. And uh, he's writing to them because, remember, when, when traveling teachers came to church or thing and other people visited, they would come with a letter of recommendation from other churches, other cities, whatever it was. So they were invited and not just seen as a stranger. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And there was Paul's reminding them of the work of the Spirit of God, not something of the written code, the tablets, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, right, that was just in the formality of church, the formality of, of going through routine, but he's reminding them of the most important thing that binds our hearts, right, is the move of the Spirit of God that saved you, transformed you, revealed to you who Jesus was. And he goes on, he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient, he's talking about we, his apostolic, the teachers that travel with him, that planted the church and are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And folks, I, I, I believe with all my heart, right, is that this is one of the biggest battles we have in the, in the faith and in the church is to fall back under the letter, fall back under the law, right, fall back under just the routine and the steps and everything else is done rather than press forward, right, into the things of the Spirit. The thing that, that, that's come with the new covenant, things come with Jesus and in Pentecost in the early church is the giving forth of the Holy Spirit, It is something radically holy, different. It is not religion, right? It's not a matter of of saying certain creeds and doing certain things, being a part of a certain denomination. It's about a radical encounter with a living, holy, glorious God who's poured out His Spirit into your heart. That's the heart of God. He wants His life in you, in your soul, as an engine, right, that's transforming you in fellowship with Him. He wants to reveal His glory to His people and His church should be the family of God that is wrapped up, right, in um, just that. 
And so this is what he's bringing it back to in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death, listen how he talks about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the old uh, the law, right? It's, he called it the ministry of death. If it's carved in letters on stone, speaking about the letters carved on the tablets, the Old Testament that were given to Moses, right? Um, if they came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of, because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness far exceeds its glory. Now, I know this is a lot of theological terminology, but let me just try to summarize it really quick. Is What Paul is saying is the ministry of the Old Covenant was given to Moses, at least the Ten Commandments on the stone, right? Remember, it came with such glory. If you read the Old Testament, Exodus, you know God's present glory on Mount Sinai and uh, everything that happened around that. And Moses went up 40 days with him. When he came down to the people, his face was shining so that he had to cover it, right, with a veil uh, to, um, because of his time with the Lord. And so Paul is making this, 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 he's building steam towards what you have, what we have, the glory that is available to us far outshines the glory that was reflecting right from Moses' face. And he talks about the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. That's the ministry of the old covenant. Right, the law that is given, right? We know that the law is put up and all the law does is stir sin. It just shows us how I can't attain that. It just shows us I'm a sinner. The law gives no power to transform. Steps of any kind give you, give me zero power to be transformed. All it shows, it reveals to me over time is it gives me a burden that I'm broken, that I, I, I am a sinner and I'm having a hard time change. The new covenant, as we're going to see, comes with glory. It comes with the power to change. It comes with indwelling Holy Spirit right inside our soul to inform my spirit, my soul, my heart, my mind, my emotions, my will to transform me from the inside out. This is God's purpose from the very beginning as we're going to see here in just a minute. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, verse 10, had come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it, the transference from the old covenant to the new covenant uh, of Jesus coming and pouring out, dying for us, rising from the dead and then pouring out the Spirit. For what was being brought to an end came with glory much more Well, what is permanent, have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to it. What is the hope we have? Right? In in Colossians, he says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And we're going to talk about what glory means in a minute. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day whenever Moses is read a veil lies over their hearts. But listen to this. Listen to these words, folks. But when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed. Listen to this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Folks, those words should blow your mind, should blow your heart. I'm going to read it again. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding, also, that means looking in a mirror, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, the Word of God. All right, a couple things. We're going to dive in. Folks, what is glory? It's just a church word, isn't it? What is glory? If, if we don't understand what the glory is, how are we going to understand and experience the verse, this incredible verse, a promise of our Lord to us? Right? The glory is visible. This is really important, folks. Visible, experiential manifestation of God's nature, who He is, His presence, and His power. It's unmistakable. It's not like, oh, wasn't that a good experience? I think God was there. No, no. When God's presence is there and His glory is there, there is no question. All faces down. Right? It's powerful, just like in Sinai, or all the multiple times we see when people encountered even Jesus when his glory wasn't even fully manifested. But uh, we see it at the Transfiguration, right? We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the soldiers came, and all of a sudden, <laughs> they were on their backs, right? That's the glory of God. And folks, you're to behold that glory. And do you know what? You're to start to become like that glory. And unless we get our faces set on his face, you know what? Is we put up veils. We put up veils, we put up barriers, right? That keep us from actually experiencing the wonder of God and his transformation, what he actually has for us. And here's the deal. Beholding comes before becoming. Whatever I'm going to become is what I'm beholding. Whatever I'm setting my face on, is what I'm becoming. And Jesus came to save us. To, he desired the very heart of God from the beginning is that He would reveal His glory to you. Face to face. Now you say, well, in the Old Testament, it says that nobody can see. Remember, Moses cried on Exodus. I just go and read this week, Exodus 33 and 34. And this is where Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Is that a cry of your heart? Do you want to see the glory of God? Do you know that God wants to show you His glory? And not only that, but He's giving us Jesus, right? And to be transformed into His same glory. From one degree of glory to another. That's not just human, folks. It's a whole other level of setting our minds on what God has for us, right? And so it starts here with an understanding what glory is. It's the fullness of who God is. 
that he had to remove from the Garden of Eden and set in heaven, waiting for the time that he could reveal and prepare a world of saved children who have the Spirit of God inside them that reflect his glory and can be in his presence, right, under a new covenant. Not a covenant of death, right, and condemnation, but a covenant of grace and love and mercy and peace. Now, I want to flip, if you have your Bible, flip with me over to, and there's a Bible underneath the seat in front of you. I want to flip you back all the way to the Old Testament to the book of Numbers. And I, I want to just um, uh, point your attention to one of this, this great blessing um, that we have in, uh, in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 28. Now many, um, 24 through 26. Now many of you uh, have heard this in songs recently and other things, but I just want to point something out. This is the blessing that, Mo, that God told Moses to tell Aaron to bless the people of God with. Now listen to this, and you've heard this before. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, the Hebrew there is, his face upon you and give you peace. Now, folks, I, I just want to drill something home. Do you realize that's a prophetic blessing? Do you realize that through Jesus, in the verse we just read in 2 Corinthians back here, that Jesus has fulfilled that? That in Jesus, he filled this promise. In other words, this is the heart of God all the way back. In the old covenant, giving, bless the people with this. May God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May his countenance, his face, be upon you and his peace be with you. That's the heart of God. And this is what God has done through Jesus, right? In the, in the gospel itself. All right, let's go to the next one here. We all long for glory. You know that? You know it's built into you? You know that you long for glory? This is important to understand. And that's not a bad thing. What's a bad thing is getting hooked up in all the world's uh, ways of glory rather than with the Lord. Now we know what glory is about, folks. We see it all the time. We do it all the time. Uh, the first one I'd go to is just sports. I mean, how is it when somebody makes a touchdown or something, what do they do? Now, some are humble and they'll bow a knee and point up and that's it. But others, more and more, what's the deal? Look to the crowd and do this, right? They're glorying in their performance. Or any stage event, any entertainment event, and the crowd applauds, the person is receiving honor and there's a sense of, wow, I want that. I want some glory, right? And we could go on and on, right, with this, just how deep this is. Why do people follow uh, movie stars? And what they, why do why, why we have such an industry, right, where people are every day tracking the, the who are those people? Car, uh, thank you, yes, that's the word, you know. I'm just, I, I Why? There's a sense of, I want some of that glory. I want some of that attention. I want some of that fame. I want some of that, that prominence. It's built into us. But the problem is the world has a fake, right, a fake way of, of, uh, of going about um, feeding that desire for glory, right? And folks, you can just see in a football game, right, the guy's made a touchdown, he's doing this, right? 
right? And, and receiving the glory in the very next moment, their team is behind by 50, and you see him walk out of the, of the and his countenance is not the same at all. It's a fading glory, right? Quick. And uh, folks, whether it's anything in our life, if we, are, are we glory in how in shape we are or something, it's fading pretty quick. I hate to tell you. A lot of things are just fading pretty quickly. The things that we give our attention to, set our, our face on and our time to, right? Um, it fades so quickly, doesn't it? Um, we were created and God knew this. He created us in his image. Do you know you were created for glory? It's just that my flesh, when my flesh is at the center of going for that glory, right? Is it, it just, it doesn't satisfy and it fades very quickly, right? And even in religion, we get this down in religion. What were the people that Jesus most criticized? They were the religious people who, what? They were trying to get glory, right, for the religious acts, right? And Jesus just went out. That's all the glory you'll ever get. That's it. That's what you want. You're living for that glory. That's all you got. Those are the people he was most harsh with, right? So it's built into us, this desire for glory, but only God only God can fit and, and, and secure that place with us, right? All right, let's move on here. Fix your face on Jesus. Fix your face on Jesus. What does that look like? What does it look like? To, Paul says this amazing statement, right? And we all, with unveiled face, because when we turn to the Lord, the veil's gone, Right? Remember what happened? Jesus, when he died on the cross, breathed his last, the veil in the temple was torn. That's not just symbolic. That was this radical thing that happened on heaven and earth, right? That now we, God desires us all to be priests. Not just a few that go in, and not just Moses who can shine the glory of God. If you're a child of God, because of what Jesus has done, he invites you into his glory. He invites you to look upon his glory, right, with your face, and to know you that intimately and to transform you into his likeness. And um, this idea of fixing our face on Jesus, I, I, would, uh, I couldn't find a, a marker that wasn't permanent in our house. <laughs> so uh, I, I just want to put this above my mirror in the morning. Fix your face on Jesus. Because I ask you, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Yeah. But I mean, it opens up a whole can of worms, doesn't it? When you look in the mirror, when I look in the mirror, what do I see? What do I think about? Am I focused on my wrinkles and my gray hair and whatever, you know? And Well, what's the focus, right? What am I setting my face on? And do I pay attention to my countenance? Right? When I look in the mirror, am I just focused on physical things? Or does it move me to a place of, man, what, is, what am I reflecting? And this idea of fixing our face, this whole idea of, of beholding the glory of Jesus, it's a mirror. This is what it is. And folks, this is, should be a daily exercise for us as we look in that mirror and we should be looking at Jesus looking back at us. And this is an exercise in the sense of, because... I can sit there and either I can look at that mirror and I can move into a self-mode. Oh, I need to work out. Oh, I need to fix my face. Oh, I need to shave. Oh, I need to whatever it is. Um, or I can shift and say, Lord, I, 
I, I need your glory. I need you to shine upon me. I need your favor right in my life. I need you to transform me right into your image. And I think for a lot of us, the problem, folks, is it's like, you know, a steam on the mirror. You get out and you kind of wipe it and it's kind of a fuzzy, defaced image and you're like, I can't see myself. I, that's what it's like until we see him clearly. Is we see ourselves defaced, we see ourselves kind of blurry, we don't have a clear vision of who we are, and we stay there. We get stuck there, we get in bondage there, right? Um, what Jesus says is, behold me, behold my glory. Behold my glory. And folks, we have so complicated this, this, this Christian life of do, do, these things, rather than the simplicity of setting our eyes on him. And then coming to his word and allowing the spirit of God to reflect who he is. Allow him to speak to us and to give us clarity about what he has for us. What we are becoming right in him. Um, rather than darting off in with a thousand other things. And so um, let me just dive in on something here that I need you to think about. This is from a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. I would say this is mandatory reading for anybody who wants to understand the spirit of our age. If you want to understand the philosophy that has been in our educational system from early on that is impacting education, it's impacting everything about identity issues in our culture today, this is the book to read that gives you the history behind all that. He simply says this, the modern development of what it means to be a self, it used to be, let me step back, it used to be culturally speaking, is that to know who we were was, was equated to our work and our service in our family, in our community, in our city at large. Over time and everything else, with all of our wonderful philosophy and higher education, what we have done is we become a therapeutic culture, and guess what's right at the center of everything? You now, yourself determines, your feelings determine who you are. And, uh, and that, folks, is completely the opposite of what Jesus came to do. All right? And this is what's so important. Until we get this right, I think we're going to be stuck in seeing the radical transformation that God has for us. Right? Is, he says this. It's led to a prioritization of an individual's inner psychology. We might say our feelings, our intuitions. Right? It's all about that today. That will only lead someone to greater bondage, not to greater beholding. Oh, Sure, don't get me wrong, there's, we can make progress, right? All kinds of self-help can help people do better, feel better, do certain things, but there is no freedom there. There is no ultimate, that is a fading, quickly experience, and that would be also according to the facts when we look at that. For our sense of who we are and what we, our purpose is for our lives, it's now the self. And it goes on, while sex may be presented today as little more than a recreational activity, sexuality is presented as that which lies at the very heart of what it means to be an authentic person. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. Why somebody can say, I feel like I'm a woman stuck in a man's body, it's this. It's because now self has been reigning as king. And I can determine, I determine, because for now, decade after decade of pounding home in our educational system, you're on the throne. You can determine that identity, and we are reaping the results of that philosophy and that education today, right? Now, here's the, here's the important thing, folks. Now, that's the, the bad news. The good news, right, is the gospel. 
It is the only thing that will set someone free. And I need you to think deeply about this issue, okay? Because this is critically important because we have confused the gospel with self-help. And what that does is it erodes the power of the gospel because Jesus will not share his glory with anything that is not of his, right? And so here's what I need us to think about. Do we just want our feelings affirmed or do we want freedom? And I ask you, each of us this. What do you really want? And this is what Jesus did. He said, what do you really want? Do you want freedom from that bondage? Do you want freedom from that emotional trauma? Do you want freedom in your life? Peace and grace? The fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Or do you just want really to be affirmed in your thinking and your feelings? And what you think is the right direction for your life? What do you really want? And Jesus comes in the gospel says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But if there's any, any at all elevation of self, gospel and God leave. This is what's important. Because Jesus said, if you're going to come follow me, you have to deny yourself. It's just the opposite of everything that is being taught in the world for the most part. If you want freedom, if you want life, you've got to come to me and you've got to lay yourself down. You have to surrender yourself to me and my word. You can't just come with yourself. And this is so important. Do we want Jesus or do we want self-help? Cannot have both, folks. And unfortunately, this is, and we'll see this reoccur over and over in the scripture. This is where we are as a culture is we think we can have both. When you blend two, you corrupt the gospel. You miss the transformation. And all we leave people with is a few helpful steps, a few helpful things. And yeah, there might be some progress. Great. And I say, if people want that, if they just want to bolster their self, if they want their feelings affirmed, and they just want some steps to manage life better, go for it. Go. But that's not the gospel. That's not why Jesus came. He came to radically set you free. He came for your entire spirit, soul, mind, will, emotion to be transformed from the inside out. And He's given you everything you need is available for that freedom. Jesus, the gospel, plus nothing else. It's available. It's there for the taking and for the ministry. But this is where it wheels down to, I have to really wrestle, and this is what we've done a terrible job with, really wrestle with what do I really want. Um, do, you, do you ever really get into a place where you're just, man, I'm just not satisfied with the transformation in my life. Do you ever wrestle with, man, I, I'm wrestling with holiness. I'm not holy like I want to be. I'm not as much like Jesus as I want to be. I'm not laying hold of that glory like I want to lay hold of it. I don't think that, even for the church, I don't think that's the space we're in. I think that we're more corrupted by this thinking than we'd ever, ever imagine. I think we're more consumed, worrying about my feelings, my, my uh, emotions, what I want rather than beholding him. And this is, this, this is what I just want you to think about is, and this is where we have so made this so complex. It is so easy in many realms. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. If you're weary and burdened, I'll give you rest for your soul. Come and behold my glory. And I will start a transformation process in your life 
Don't go look out there. Don't look here. Don't look there. Set your eyes. Fix your face on Jesus. Don't move from that place. Trust Him. And it's as easy as that. It's every day coming, look in the mirror, reminding, Lord, my face, may you bless me. May your countenance be upon me. May I reflect your glory. May I be transformed into your likeness and your image. And I can't do it. It is a daily surrender, right? And this is probably the, where the rubber meets the road for all of us is, am I willing to repent? And because he says right here, those, the veils turned when those turn to the Lord. That means I have to turn away from the things of the world. I have to turn away from myself. I have to turn away from my feelings and I have to turn to the Lord. My feelings are never going to get free into the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all those things, unless I deny my feelings that are fueled by my flesh and myself and I turn to the Lord and I set my eyes on Jesus and say, Lord, you come. You've got to do this work. He promises that I have to stand on that promise. And I keep my eyes on him. I bring others in prayer. We keep encouraging each other. Set your, fix your face on him. And you will behold his glory. The presence, the power of God. He will show up and he will transform. It's his promise. But it's not going to happen if I look to a thousand other things, right? Especially if I look to the world. And especially if I look to any kind of self-help at all. Now this is critical to understand, folks, is again, for some, that's what they want. That's a decision. If you want to bolster yourself, you want some principles, you want to help your this or that in your life, go for it. Psychology is waiting for you and it can help a little. But that glory and that help fades quick. Again, just go study any aspects of recovery data we have in our nation today. We have to look right here. That's the world, and that bolsters self. The gospel is the absolute opposite of self-help. And until I really wrestle with that, you know what? I will not lay hold of the glory of God. I will not understand the power and transformation of the gospel in my life. It is the opposite of self-help. It is self-death. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, come follow me today. And guess what? You're going to have a life abundance. You try to find your life, right? And try to save your life. You try to bolster yourself. You're going to lose it. Though you might get bepped up for a little bit, you're going to lose it. You're going to crash and burn. But you, what? Lose your life for me. Lose yourself for me. You're going to find it. This is where the core heart of of the soul really gets of what do we really want? What do we really want? Because you can't have both. Can't have both. I can't have a bolstered self on the throne and Jesus on the throne. It's a dethroning of the self. And folks, this is important. It's It's not obliteration of myself. It's a transformation of myself. It's a big difference. Not like Buddhism. You just lose who you are into the nirvana, the one big spirit in the sky. No, not that. He created you uniquely, you, your personality, your DNA, who you are. You are unique, loved in all the universe, and He wants to transform yourself into the image of His Son and shine with the glory of His Son. But it requires us to fix our eyes on Jesus and His gospel and set our hope on its power, 
to move us and change us. Does that make sense, folks? I know that that, if you're thinking, um, that's big stuff. And I realize that there's a lot of questions about that. And so I ask you to look at it. Search the scripture for it. Because it's time for the church to remove the self-help. And remove any process that involves any of that and set our eyes on Jesus and the purity of the gospel and the purity of and the power and the promise of what God has with that and trust Him to transform us and deliver us and heal us. And it begins with the removing of the veils. Because anything I do that bolsters myself, it works against the Spirit and it puts a veil. It puts that fog on the mirror. I can't see clearly who I am and I'm not at peace with who I am and I can't see clearly. If I can't see clearly who I am, I can't see clearly what God's purpose for me, what I'm becoming. It's a defaced image up there. But when we turn to Jesus, the veil's gone and we behold the glory of the Lord. So just in conclusion this morning what veils need to be removed what needs to be removed so we can fix our face on Jesus our redeemer our savior the glory of our Lord right man our our faces are fixed on so many things today um man we need to see him right so I just want to take a time and just pray. We have some time. And um, Derek, y'all come on up. And um, let's just trust the Spirit to move and to answer this question right here for us this morning. So Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And as we just kind of put our foot, just barely get our toe in the, in the ocean of your truth and your glory this morning. And Lord, we want a full baptism. We want a full immersion in your glory, in your word. And Lord, we want it all. We want more. Lord, I pray that you'll break through the veils this morning, whatever that is. The deepest one is myself, a commitment to me that's not willing to just lay it at your feet, Jesus, and to turn to you and trust you to change me, transform me, and to show me your glory, God. So Holy Spirit, move in this time. This is your word. This is your promise. Lord, we know you're going to work. So come now and do that deep work inside our souls. Lord, for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.